<clears throat> so God, we just uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word that uh, instructs us and gives us warning about the enemy and his schemes. Your bride is powerful, and you're choosing to express um, heaven through your church, through us, Father, through your sons and through your daughters, collectively as a whole, all over the globe. You're choosing to express your amazing and infinite and glorious nature. And that is amazing and it is priceless and is invaluable. And I thank you for making us aware of a copycat who's trying to make cheap imitations, who's trying to water down and distract and discourage. And so, Father, I pray that you would open up our minds and our eyes and our hearts to help us see the whole picture, the bigger narrative. It goes beyond our biases and our experience. It goes beyond our individual lives, Lord. There's a true battle going on. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to open up our eyes to see truly where the battle is, the authority that we carry, and where to draw firm lines in our lives and in our churches. So we thank you for your word, Lord. Give us greater understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're reading through the book of Timothy together, right? And we're doing that because in uh, chapter 3 that we were looking at last week, Paul says, he's writing to Timothy, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So we're reading through, and Paul makes it really clear right from the outset, hey listen, here's why I'm writing the book. Writing you this book, or write this letter. It wasn't a book, right? It was a letter. There's no verses, there's no chapters. He's just writing a letter to him. And the whole idea behind it was that he was giving Timothy an idea of, hey, here's how you handle the affairs within a church. Here's how it should go down. Here's what's important. Here's where the majors are. This is where the minors are. Here's who you want to focus and pay attention to things. For us as a church family, <coughs> we're going to be entering, we already are really in it, a season of new things with different things happening. And part of the new season of different things happening is that... Um, leadership and groups of people and influence of people is going to happen in more precise and more intentional um, and we believe more biblical ways. And so I'm very excited about that because what that does is that helps to form a better foundation, a more healthy foundation, a place where, a church where people can actually be who God made them to be, offer and serve who they are and it all contributes to the body as a whole. Because it was never intended for a few people to do a certain, few certain things really well and everybody just watched them do whatever. That was never the intention. But we're very much an entertainment culture and we like to sit back and watch a lot of things and really admire people. And the Lord is saying, hey listen, that's not the way I do church. I bring together my sons and my daughters a little, I equip them. And I show myself through that. And then as I do that, I actually accomplish the goals and purposes that I have for that church. It's a really beautiful and awesome thing. And that's why it's a really sad thing when people, um, when, when we choose to disengage ourselves 
because of fears, because of inadequacies, because of failures. And all those things are very problematic. Because then you have very important pieces of a family that God is looking to express himself through. And certain people just say, well, I don't think so. I'm disqualified for a gamut of reasons. And that's sad. And so it's really important for us to understand the big picture, the greater narrative, church as a whole. It's for God to accomplish his purposes of saving souls and letting this entire globe know that he is the one true and living God who saves us, who has a plan and a purpose for us, and that in the end, good always wins. That's what he's looking to express and show. And so it seems kind of strange as we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 4, where now he's talking about people that are going to come into a church. They call this the great apostasy. You might say that even in your Bible, a little title, a little heading above that. So it seems kind of strange to transition from church leadership, bishops, elders, deacons, pastors, and then he makes this sort of transition. It's like, you see this abstract random brain, he just writes down whatever's going on, and maybe that could be the case. But I think that what the Lord's really doing is he's saying, hey, to follow up this idea of a strong leadership, a strong foundation of leaders within a church, here's why. I feel like chapter four is the here's why part. Chapter 3 is here, hey, this is important. Make sure you do it. And then in chapter 4, it's like, here's, here's why. And it's not the total answer. It's not completely exhaustive. But it's got some certain highlights that I think are really interesting. So we'll take a look at it. So chapter 4, verse 1, here's, here's what he's saying. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times... Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. That's a super powerful and significant sentence. It says the Spirit clearly says it. So I don't know how the Spirit told him. Maybe he told him in a dream. Maybe he told him through other people. Maybe it was through his just own private time with the Lord. Maybe he heard it through other church elders. It doesn't say but the Lord speaks, the Spirit speaks through a variety of ways. Sometimes in the most bizarre and crazy ways. I mean, you're reading the Bible, he spoke through a donkey. I mean, that's just weird. Talking to animals. I mean, some people do that because they're strange, but it's really weird when the animals start talking back. That's really, and it's like God made him talk back. It's crazy. So I don't, it doesn't say how the Spirit did. It just says that he did the Spirit did talk. And what did the Spirit say? The Spirit said, in the latter times. So when Paul wrote it, he doesn't know like when the latter times are. He, he just knows the Spirit said it. So, latter times, you know, when is that? I tend to think of it as later times. Like the times before Jesus will come. So getting closer to Jesus returning, these things are going to happen. And so Paul, he, he didn't know when. Jesus didn't even know when. He was asked that. And he's like, I don't know. He said, the Father only knows. He's got those times and things worked out. I don't know. But Jesus said, here's what I do know. There's going to be a bunch of signs of things that will happen. 
and then you're going to kind of have an idea. Like a woman, when she's going into labor pains, you're getting the idea that it's about to happen. So what are some signs? It says some people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Things taught by demons. This is a very interesting thing. So in the end times, last days, the devil, he's, he's not going to come around with his pitchfork and his, you know, the cartoon, the ears, and just this really odd-looking thing. That's not how he's going to gain ground, get traction, and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The way he's going to do it is he's going to create cheap imitations, knockoffs of what legitimate power of light actually does. That's what he's going to do. And it says that people are going to abandon the faith. They're, they're just going to be done. And the reason why they're going to be done is it says, later in the New Testament, Jesus said, the love of many would just grow cold. Of all the bad things that are happening, all the evil that just seems to be gaining traction, people will get consumed by that. And they're really just going to be like, you know, I don't, a God who loves, and this is happening. And there's going to be a significant move of people that will just stay in the place of just the why. And the love of many would just grow cold. And just be like, ah, you know, I don't, a loving God the Father, and all this happens. And, it, you know, unfortunately, you know, you have Florida happens this past week, and, and and any time a tragedy happens like that, and, and we in Connecticut, you know, we know Newtown was not that long ago, right? And it happened here. And so it's difficult to wrestle with those things. And part of the enemy's plan is to keep us wrestling with those things, to keep us in doubt, because what that does is that completely sabotages and hijacks a faith. And that's one just one way, very significant way, that the enemy likes to deal with people. It's very interesting. You know, if you have some time, it's definitely, in, I think, would be helpful. If you look up online, like the Barna Group, Barna Research Group, what they do is, is they're um, a company, and they go, it's a Christian company, they go around and they take all these statistics, from, of all kinds of things. It's very interesting. And they do it with churches, they do it with teens, they do it with culture, all kinds of things. And it's centered around Christianity, centered around God and the Bible, and it has all these studies. It's very interesting to see, like if you were to read, the Barnard Group had this article, the top 10 posts from 2017. Some of the things of the top 10 posts of 2017 or how there's this shift in the American church about how we live in this post-truth world. And it's just kind of coming through the church. And what I mean by post-truth and what they mean by post-truth is that, is that truth is something you discover and it's individual and it's something that you find out. And it's creeping its way into the church. And that's very different than a biblical worldview. Where a biblical worldview would say that there is absolute truth, that there is sin, that Jesus Christ was real, he was God incarnate, he died for people's sins, 
God raised Jesus from the dead, and he's going to draw people to himself. And hell is a real place. Right? That's a biblical worldview. And that continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. What's also interesting is that in 2000, this is an older study, it's like 2005, there's a study strictly done on Protestant pastors. And the study was how many of these pastors actually believe the Bible as actual gospel truth. So not just a collection of stories and metaphors, allegories, but as just gospel truth. Like these are real people, these are real things, and you just believe everything that happened in there. The percentages of Protestant pastors actually believe that was less than 50%. A Protestant pastor, this is 10 years ago. I can't imagine it's gone up since then or maybe moved a lot. But it's definitely older. They haven't done a more recent one on that lately, so that's why I can't really note one. And in two large, significant denominations, it's actually really sad how many pastors and leaders of those churches, you know, they, they uphold certain parts for sure, but some parts, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And that's sad. One of the top ten posts from 2017, right? Post-truth world. It's this other idea of I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And so there's this heavy focus on the spiritual. On nurturing. Everyone kind of has this idea now that there's, there's spirituality. There's something going on. Is it connected to the universe? You know, is it, is it connected um, to exercise? Uh, is it connected... What, so there's always trying to figure it out, right? But there's this focus on the spiritual. And because churches, unfortunately, for a long time have been really irresponsible with money, with manipulation, with guilt, with poor leadership, which we've been reading about, right? There's a reason why Paul spent so much time with Timothy and talking about strong leadership. Because what happens is when that fails collectively over a long... Because there's been tons of responsible leaders that have done well and that have shined brightly. But there's also a large amount that have not done so well. And so now you have people that are still made from God, from the Creator. And they're still made to worship and to give glory and honor to the God who created them. But it's like, but it can't be the church because it's so dysfunctional. There's nothing but hypocrites that walk around. So they're searching and striving and they're trying to figure out and, and they're trying to be accepting and loving and tolerant, but... But there's no way that Jesus could be the only answer because I've seen what the church does and I've seen who these people are and they can't even get along themselves. Right? These are top ten articles, right, from this Barnum research thing. So, you know, there's these ideas, there's these threads moving through the church that's... trying to figure out a way to where we can really uphold self but still include Jesus in a lot of it. And people are going to be in the faith for that stuff because that's not the gospel. 
It's going to run into problems. It doesn't produce fruit that will last. It's definitely not supernatural from heaven. That's not the message. The message from heaven is there is only one way to God the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, Jesus dying on a cross, what did that mean? For what reason do we need it? So it's incredibly significant to hold tightly and strongly to God in human form, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and modeled perfectly God the Father, His heart, His intention, His actions, did it perfectly. I like to say that Jesus Christ is perfect theology. His theology doesn't make a lot of sense and we struggle with it, but he's perfect theology. He got it right every time. And you can't put him quite into a formula and he doesn't fit real good into a box. But he's perfect theology. So all those things are difficult to wrestle with and the church is trying to figure out, you know, how do we do it? Another one of those top ten articles was about how people are just leaving church. They just... It's not significant. And what's very interesting about one of those articles, I believe it was the number one article, they had this breakdown from cities all across the U.S. And I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm not going to like quote it, but the idea was that there's these cities where they basically have zero interest in the Bible, and they're trying to just figure it out on their own. And New Haven and Hartford, I want to say... Out of that top, it was like a 20 city list. And it was like number eight or nine. And honestly, the difference between number one and number 20 was like four percentage points. So it's not like a huge gap. So we live in the heart of this area where there's these things trying to creep into the church. And Paul, it happened back then. There's always like, how do you destroy an enemy? Well, if you can get a spy in there and infiltrate and divide, you can win. And that's why governments all across the globe forever have always been trying to get spies into the enemy and get a deal on what's going on and sabotage it and somehow set them up and like cause disruption. And it's no different. It's no different in the supernatural with an enemy that wants to have people live far from their destiny, far from their creator, and ultimately be in hell with him. It's interesting in all those polls in there too is so many people want to believe in God and believe in heaven, but the percentage of people that believe in hell and the devil is like minute. It's like one, two percent. We definitely want the good stuff, but I don't... And I have... You know, friends are just like, they don't mind hearing about the good things that the church does and, and, and what we can bring and the sort of warm fuzzies that we can do. But they're like, yeah, I don't want to talk about the devil stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And to be honest, too, you know, I don't know how often even the church has even represented the devil part that well. Because it's been convenient for a long time in a lot of places to just blame the devil for everything too and then I have no personal responsibility. So I'm saying that 
These aren't new problems. They've been around for a long time. And Paul is trying to warn Timothy, say, hey, listen, this stuff's going to creep in. And in fact, though, Timothy, the idea is not to just let it come in and deal with it. Right? Just like us as a church, you know, if strange things come through here, you better believe the response is not going to be, well, you know, so it's going to happen, so. No! <laughs> you trust that. You confront people. You talk to them. You try to figure out, like, what is going on here? Now, we fully understand if we're biblically literate people, that's a big if. Right? If we're biblically literate people, then we understand that, listen, this is part of the plan. In the last days, people are just going to walk away. And some churches are just going to just fall. They're going to be stale, powerless, focused on routine and ritual, and they won't be walking in victory. They just won't. And that's a sign of the times. God says that's the way it's going to play out. That's the narrative. It's going to happen. That doesn't mean we just roll over and like let it happen, but it, it's going to happen. But you better believe like, we ain't going to let it happen here. And we're going to fight for other brothers and sisters that we love in other churches to try and make sure it doesn't happen there. But it is what's going to play out. And we can't get to it now, but in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, it talks about how this needs to happen, right? And then the Antichrist will come. And then all kinds of crazy and unfortunate things are going to start to develop and take place. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, listen, this stuff is happening. It's going to come in. People are always, the enemy's always, 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 always trying to sabotage truth. And what we believe, if we're professing Christians, we believe that truth isn't a set of ideals, that truth is a person. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. We believe in a person who represented and embodied perfect truth. And then to be ashamed of Jesus and not say that we follow him, he's our Lord and Savior, that's that's a very confusing message to send to the rest of the world and that's not helping build towards the purity and power and calling on the bride. I don't think, we're going to read some more, I promise, this is only verse one, but I don't think it was Paul's intention and he doesn't seem to focus on this a whole lot later, just hey, listen, the church should be primarily always concerned with every sort of doctrinal issue that always comes up in that church and in every other church. Police everybody all the time. That's not the role either. But the idea is to pay attention, is to keep a close eye on them. And when things come up, you address them. In other words, passivity is not a kingdom trait. When it comes to representing his bride and living out what he called us to do. There's absolutely a time and a season to be passive about certain things, you know. And, but when it comes to his bride, the church, 
and what he's looking to accomplish, there's not much room for passivity. Whatever. Being passive. <laughs> That's why Jesus used such strong words with Peter. He goes, <coughs> Peter's like, and you don't have to die. You don't have to go to the cross. We don't have to do it this way. And he goes to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. You just have the things of man. That's like, okay. I don't know how to process all of that. It doesn't seem to fit into like friendly behavior, but there's something about a focus, right? Like it says up there, a focus, a type of, I even want to say like aggression towards going after the things of God that he has put in our lives, on our hearts, and when he's trying to unveil through his churches. So to sit back and just chill and let everyone else sort of figure it out is like so far from the heart of what God really wants to do. Okay, verse 2. At this pace. So how are these deceiving spirits, things taught by demons? It's interesting when you look in the Greek, it talks about, it's, um, in the Greek, it, it refers to a sort of sensual, um, sort of sensual way to, to, like it sounds really good and sounds really nice and that, that definitely just must be from God. It just sounds really good. There's just like this slickness to it. And it's just very appealing. It's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it makes me kind of feel good. It seems really nice. And, you know, it doesn't seem so exclusive like Jesus kind of is. There must be something to that. And, and that's like the doctrine of demons. Any way to go after the ex- exclusivity of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's why even in a lot of churches, you don't even say Jesus all like a lot. So there's these demons that are just whispering into leaders' hearts and minds. And trying to get them to believe in a thought pattern in a way that's just not consistent with the heart of God. And he'll do it in such a way to where it's not blatantly crazy, although in some cases it is, and it's like, wow. But in other cases, it's much more subtle. And it just works itself in, it's just sort of tolerated and deal with it, and then it's like, it starts to build momentum, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I don't even know now. Strange. It's very strange, right? So such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Can't trust your conscience. You just can't. And if you think you can, like, there must be some things in your life where you thought, you know, I don't think I'll do that. I'll never do that. And something, some things happen in life and you just find yourself in those places. You're like, how did I get here? I said I was never going to... I thought I would never... You just can't trust your conscience. You just... Because you know why? We can find ways to just justify anything. And I can, I, I'm, I can convince myself of basically anything. If I really, really want to. And I have in the past. And you can do it too. And you can even use God and religion to justify it. Mm-hmm. 
I remember there was there was somebody you know who came to church for a little while, and and he was um, he really wanted this was a first red flag. He really wanted to be in leadership really bad, and he just kept pushing and just asking things. I want to preach. I'd really like to preach, and he'd send me all these like sermons, and he'd send me all this material, and I'm like. He's always like pushing and asking questions and asking about people and I'm like, this just doesn't feel right, you know, like <clears throat> seems a little too ambitious. And so I remember one thing that stuck out to me, you know, he was telling me how God told him that he was supposed to divorce um, his wife. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I so and, and then he would just talk more about more things. He just found out over time, you know, it's just it's just unhealthy. You know, something got seared. You know what I'm saying? Like he wanted to go a certain direction in life, and he was just really willing to do whatever he needed to do to get there. And you and we can just twist and manipulate things so that it happens. We can do it. Sometimes the, the sometimes God steps in and he says no and he shuts it down. But then there's other times he's just like, listen, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm still going to pursue you, but and hopefully, hopefully, in those situations, we turn out to be like the prodigal and we respond and we come back. But that's not everybody's story. It's not everybody's story. So these are hypocritical liars. They don't even really believe it themselves, but they want to just manipulate, gain money, gain power. There's there's an ulterior motive. It's not a pure shepherd just trying to look after a flock, bring them closer to their Savior and to their Father. It's ulterior motives. Here are some hot-button issues of where the enemy wants to distort and cause problems in the church. So how do you know if you're in the last days? Well, verse 3, they forbid people to marry in order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. One of the tactics of the enemy that's really prophesied here by Paul and warned to us, he said, hey, listen, one of the things that the enemy is going to go after and try and find faults and cause disruption is going to be he's going to go after marriage. He's going after marriage. And what's interesting in the Greek, you, you can read it a couple of different ways. One way is, like it says right here, I'm in the, I'm in the NIV, um, it says forbidding people to marry. Um, uh, kind of another way it can also be looked at is that... Um, Marriage doesn't have to be so restrictive. And that's interesting. And, you know, we have in 2016, you know, Supreme Court, you know, just ruled, you know, marry who you want to marry. Supreme Court of the land. Some people are surprised by that. I'm personally not really that surprised. I mean... (laughs) We've been trying to like, get God out for a long time. Like, it's just the direction we're headed. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm ready to quit. There's still good work to do. It's just my hope is not in politics. 
My hope is in the church. It's in Jesus. It's in His people responding to His voice and being empowered and led by Him. That's just going to bring change. So then we get this ruin, you know, and, and what it does is it goes right after marriage. And we hear the phrase everywhere, you know, love is love. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that's not coming from the Bible. Love is not just love. It's interesting that marriage is, is, is the one place where we have this illustration of Christ and his love for the church. And it's like we're the bride and Jesus Christ is lived perfectly. The bride now is being perfected by the Holy Spirit and being prepared. We're all part of the bride being prepared to be presented to Jesus Christ himself. And just that very narrative and illustration is just being attacked and hijacked. So the traditional view of marriage that has just been forever is under assault. And if you don't think it is, just put on your Facebook and your Twitter status, I love Jesus Christ, and I believe he created marriage for a man and woman. I'm not throwing stones at anybody, I'm just saying that's what I believe. Just do that. A lot of people don't even have enough guts to do that. I don't want to start doing stuff like that. Yeah, and some people just do it to be rebellious and cause a problem. And I'm not saying that. But I am saying, this is where passivity, whatever that word is, right? Being passive doesn't help. It doesn't help. It's very hurtful. Because there is these demonic doctrines that are trying to gain traction and spread through. And we happen to live in an environment, in a part of the world where it's like, yeah, I'll listen to that. That sounds pretty good. Sounds like it makes sense. Could go with that. How do you handle that? How do you, be, how do you become a responsible Christian who's trying to deliver the heart of God to them, but you know that, that what they're entertaining is just not going to be helpful? And I can promise treating them as a project is not going to help. Right? These are things that we have to like wrestle in prayer with and seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom and guidance on. Because a theology or a doctrine of beliefs is not going to get it done. Being close to the heartbeat of the Father who through the Holy Spirit enlightens and shows us and communicates, that is what we need. And that all has to be guided certainly through a biblical word and foundation. But it's just, as I was talking with Rick before church, it's just so easy and has been done for so long to reduce church down to a set of disciplines and a belief system. And it goes way further than that. It goes to a person. It goes to a father. It goes to a heart. It comes from heaven. So we live in this, and marriage Coming under attack. Just this. I'm not telling anything you don't know, but I'm saying, I hope you can see the picture of what's taking place. We're getting closer to the last days. And that's a significant prophetic ruling that happened. Well, how much time we have left? So I don't know. And I think to even like, start talking like that doesn't really help. I'm just saying we're getting closer. It's time to pay attention. Time to be on guard. 
and honestly a time to stand for truth. God is going to be making his appeal. He's going to be expressing his heart. He's going to be demonstrating truth through faithful sons and daughters. He's not going to open up the heavens and say, this is bad, I don't like it, do this instead. (laughs) It's not the way it works. It happens to like little office like chat. You know, it happens to like just sort of like a strange conversation that just happened, you know, over a coffee. It comes through somebody locking themselves in their closet and just praying for their coworkers because they don't know what to do. They feel like they're at a loss, but they want to deliver something from heaven. This is how this happens. That's why I'm saying you can't just reduce it down to just some disciplines and some beliefs. This is very alive. It is very in the moment. And we're all playing a part. Because we got doctrines of demons that we're going to contend with. So it goes after marriage. Here's what's also interesting. It's going after food. That's interesting to me. One of the signs of the latter times, people are going to grow cold, get away from the church. There's going to be problems of marriage, and there's going to be problems of food. That's interesting to me. The best way I could think of it was that, like it says right here with food, it says they forbid people to marry as if you're more holy if you don't get married. Just not true. People need to abstain from certain foods. It's just not true. It says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Pray for your meals. Pray for your food. Give God thanks. Just do it. It's good. It's what he told Timothy to do. Right? It is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. It's like, man, when you just enter in and you give God thanks, like you just, you're covering your food. It's not a guarantee you won't get sick, but, you know, there's something happening. Like, because it's a different story if you go to another country and you're trying to represent Christ and they just lay down in front of you so a meal that's just been sacrificed to a demon, to another God. You're going to sit down you're going to eat that? Right? Those are things you've got to think about. Like, people on the front lines. How do they handle stuff like that? Right? That causes a whole other thing now. And depending upon where a person's faith level is, they're going to handle it differently. It seems to be very clear from what Paul is saying, man, receive with thanksgiving, put the Lord's blessing on it, take part. Some people in their conscience and their faith level, they're just not there. And they're just like, ah. And get into some problems. So food, it's interesting to me that a huge part of walking with God and being covered by His grace is living a life of freedom. It's just the most glorious, wonderful thing. It's just a walk in freedom. Freedom from myself, freedom from pressures of other people. It doesn't mean you won't feel them from time to time, but you're not consumed by it. People don't owe me anything. They don't owe me jack. 
But what I do owe them is I owe them the heart of God because I know what it is and I've been there. That's what I owe them. And if I'm not bringing that, I don't really, I don't really care what they're bringing me. I'd like for them to treat me nicely and you know, not gossip about me and just be nice people. We all know it doesn't usually happen. We've got a responsibility to bring his heart, to bring his mind. So, food, you know, you're not more holy if you're not eating that or not eating that, whatever. If you have particular convictions, go ahead. Go with them. But the way most of the meat is prepared nowadays, blocking these animals a little thing, feeding them antibiotics all day long, everybody's getting sick, I could see why you wouldn't want to eat some meat. I'm not judging you and I'm not throwing stones and I totally get it. Not for nothing, a whole lot of cancers have been showing and, and, and being uh, more relevant because of so much meat consumption is what they do. Again, you're going to fall where you fall on that. But it's not a mandate from heaven to never touch a piece of meat or a particular kind of meat. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Just not. Nor is it a mandate from heaven that if you're more spiritual, you don't need to get married. These are just not true things. And here's what I think the enemy is after on this. He's always trying to hijack and disrupt the grace that we live under and the freedom we experience. And there's something interesting about monks far away, abstaining from everything, and that are super disciplined all day long. There's something interesting and sort of intriguing and even appealing, and to a lot of people, super spiritual about it. Like, man, I got it figured out. And in the Bible, it's called willpower religion. Paul writes about that. People with just extreme discipline in their life and a lot of willpower, they just seem super spiritual. Unfortunately, there's also a lot of Christians that have almost zero discipline and zero willpower. It ain't looking so good. So there's something to be said for it. But the enemy is always after our freedoms that we get to just enjoy and experience and live in. He's always trying to paint a picture of uh, a burdensome God with nothing but rules and regulations and never has our best interests in mind. It was in the garden. Hey, anything you want, don't touch that tree. All he wants to talk about is that tree. It's never changed. And it's it's now. Eat what you want. Or don't eat what you don't want. Walk into a vegan's house. Don't start giving them a hard time. Let me be vegan, let me be vegan. You want to learn more? Then ask us some questions and learn more. But I hope none of us are like, well, listen. (laughs) Genesis 9 says, God told Noah, kill and eat. So, don't do that stuff, right? We don't do that stuff. It's not helpful. (laughs) 
Here's what he says to Timothy. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We're not going to go further with this. We'll close with this. It is true that godliness involves training. It involves discipline. It involves work. So it's very confusing and not healthy for someone to have, to call themselves a Christian and really be losing the battle on the discipline and self-control front. It's very difficult. We find ways to do it. Because usually we start to live from our strength instead of his. But it requires some work. It's just not normal to try and wake up early and read the Bible and pray. It's just not normal. It requires work. Just like any athlete, you don't just show up and turn into LeBron James. It doesn't happen. <laughs> He's got amazing genes. That's true. But you just don't show up and just be, you know, they just had the All-Star Weekend. You just don't show up and be these guys. And I love, they did an, inter- an interview with uh, Shaq and Kobe Bryant. And they had all this beef for a long time. They were teammates for a while, won championships. Then they had this kind of riff. And then Shaq left and Kobe stayed. And they still won this whole, like, drama thing. So, it's really interesting to hear about how Shaq, just a big, dominant, I mean, just, wow, 7'3", 320. Who's going to move him? I'm going to move him in the paint. He will just crush everyone. I don't care if he eats salads all day. It doesn't matter. He's going to destroy you. It doesn't matter. Kind of towards the middle, they started to win championships. He just got, you know, he would come back heavier and heavier after every break. Kind of out of shape, you know. It's like, eh, whatever. You know, and a lot of it was true. You know, he could handle whoever. Even if it took him a couple months to get back into it, he could get it done. And it was interesting. They're sitting across from each other during the interview. And as Shaq started to talk about that, Kobe goes, he starts smiling, goes, I hated that about you. I hated that. He goes, you're doing that? I'm in the gym 10 hours a day. Right after the championship game. We just won the finals. I'm in 10 hours a day, and you're doing that. And they started to talk about how then in the press they would have this beef about you got one man just committed to working, working, working. And the other one's like, eh, I'll, I'll figure it out when I get there. There's a lot of people that approach Christianity like that. I'll just figure it out when I get there. I'll leave it to the Spirit. That's the cliche. <laughs> There's some truth to that, by the way. Right? You have to be able to be responsive to the Spirit in the moment. Otherwise, you just rely on your planning and become very robotic. At the same time, God speaks and works a lot through the planning and through the preparation. The lifestyle of a Christian, it just has disciplines. It just comes with an understanding like, I just can't trust my feelings on this. I can't trust my energy level right now. 
I got to do what the Lord has on my heart right now. I just got to get it done. I'm sneezing. I'm sneezing. I'm not feeling good. This is going on. I ain't reading today. You know. I know I should be praying for someone, so I got to put on my heart. But I just really, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not going to that study. What can I contribute? I had a horrible day today. These are just. This is nonsense that we believe and we buy into. Because unfortunately, too many Christians, they don't. They haven't yet grown into the maturity of this training of godliness that stays this course and stays persistent when they're feeling high and when they're feeling low. Most of us want to respond when we're feeling high and feeling good. Very few of us want to respond when we're feeling low. And that's natural. But the idea is we're not living based on highs and lows. We're just responding from His strength. And that's just what we do. So we're called to do. And I love how he encourages Timothy. Like, listen, man. Athletes, you know, they train, they work hard. That's got value. There's that self-control and discipline thing that there's value in that. Kingdom people need it. It has to be a part of their lives. But if it's just focused on looking better and getting more in shape, ah. If you're going to do it, spend the bulk of it on godliness, seeking his heart. Investing into others. Emptying yourself. And I don't think the idea is choose one or the other. Be healthy or be godly. I don't think that's the deal. The deal is to figure out how that works. Like, how do you do both? We're called to be healthy. And take care of what we got so we can be around for a long time. And have God use us for a long time. At the same time, we're not a whole heck of a lot of use if we look awesome, but we can't bring anything from heaven. So I love how he tells Timothy, you know, get your priorities straight, man. Get it right. Figure it out. It's worth trying to figure it out and going through the battle of it. Because it easily gets hijacked. All righty, so we're going to close up there. Next time we're going to pick up how Paul is talking about being diligent in these things and staying on task. And then he's got some um, things to say to people in church. But let's keep our eyes and our ears open. Doctrines of demons just floating around and stuff going on. And, and some people, they, I don't know, you know they, I think they get a little crazy. They just devote all their time, energy, and all that they got into trying to figure out which one is the doctrine of the demons and slamming everybody all day long. I, I'm not sure how much value there is there. I think when we encounter it, we can't be okay with it. But it's important to pay attention and see the world that we live in and what's going on. So when we leave here, we're going out to one of those top 20 where it's like, I'll entertain anything in my life. If it makes sense and it seems like it's good for people, that sounds like it's good for me. How do we handle that? How do we respond? Have we ever once in our lives spent just a half hour in prayer for one person for three weeks because we know God put them on our hearts? Have we ever done that? There's significant things that the Lord wants to do through us in the world around us. And coming here on a Sunday, super helpful. But much of what the Lord wants to do happens the other six days, you know? 
Alright. Let's pass out the arms. We're going to take communion together. Yes, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you will never fail. You just don't. You don't even know how to. And that's really encouraging, Father, because we're really familiar with it. And most times that's our go-to, especially when we feel really just confused and don't know what to do. We just can easily recall our failures, and that's just a reason to not step up again. I thank you that you're more faithful than we are, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating the heart of a father despite just strong turmoil and difficult feelings. Thank you for showing us how. So it says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body, and so we take and we eat. It says, then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, and so we take and we drink. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. <clears throat> God, I thank you, Lord, that when we come into just an environment, Lord, where people think you're just all the same and there's just all these different ways to you and it's not all level playing field, Lord. There's just, there's one Jesus Christ. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one Father. And I pray, Father, that you draw us even closer to your heart and help us understand that better so we can give from your heart of love, value, and destiny to others. Not just condemn them in wrong thinking. There's something greater. There's a greater way to communicate your heart than to just argue. Show us what that looks like, Lord. Show us how. Show us how to be bold, Father. I pray that we trust you with words when there's conversations and things developing around us. I pray we wouldn't just be passive and check out. Show us how to interject from heaven. Just show us, Lord. Just, there's so many different situations, different people. Just give us wisdom, Lord. 
create in us, in us a pure heart, Lord, that, you, that can just go about these things for the right reasons. We need a purity of heart, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would give us greater clarity and better understanding in marriage and in sexuality. And I pray that you'd give us and just release greater clarity on food and how to handle food well, Lord. To not abuse it, to have self-control with it, to honor and worship you with it, to give thanks with it, Lord. Just show us, Father. Show us, Lord God. Through your word, just speak and minister to us. I pray we wouldn't fall in those percentages, Lord, that just people that just don't read their Bible, they don't know anything. And <clears throat> so I just pray, Father, just fill each person here with a heart to want to know you better, to dig into your word, Lord, to be close to your heart, to give differently to the world around them, to give heavenly, to give supernaturally. So I thank you for this morning, Father. Thank you for these things you've spoken to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.